Throughout history, there have been a lot of opinions about Jesus Christ. There were a lot of opinions about Jesus when he walked the earth. Uh, and one of the areas where you can see different versions, if you like, of Jesus is in the art world. You look at pictures that are supposed to depict Jesus, many of which I think are far from accurate. Throughout different stages of history and different cultures, it's been represented in many different ways. And, and not only that, but throughout time, people have felt sometimes a need to present a Jesus that fits into a cultural context, that fits into a present-day philosophy. And uh, you can, if you study history, you'll see some of that in various church movements. And in this day and age that we live in, our culture is very much one where one of the words that is overused, excessively used, and misused is the word tolerance, where we are to tolerate or we are expected to tolerate every kind of opinion, every kind of lifestyle, because there are no rights or wrongs. There are simply people's points of view. And a lot of Christianity, unfortunately, tries to present a Jesus that fits into that in a palatable fashion, that he's not an offensive Jesus, that he's not a Jesus that convicts or causes us to feel uncomfortable or pricks us in our hearts, as we read about in Acts chapter 2. But the only accurate Jesus is the one we read about in the Word of God, where it says that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so a church's responsibility, whatever label that church happens to operate under, is to present the Jesus of the book. And in Matthew chapter 3, we read about a Jesus that is maybe not so palatable. Verse 5, speaking of John the Baptist, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits or actions, meat or suitable for repentance." And think not to say within yourselves, don't be thinking in your own minds and hearts that we have Abraham for our father. In other words, we'll trust in our natural lineage. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children under Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn or chopped down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, which is speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner or the barn, the storage place, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire if you're not familiar with the imagery that's being given to us there when grain was harvested and dried appropriately it would be taken to a threshing floor and using various implements it would be beaten so that the outer husk the part that wasn't too palatable that wasn't real good for making nice soft bread would be loosened 
and then it would be tossed in the air and a fan would be employed. And that light chaff, that stuff that wasn't considered valuable, would be separated from the wheat. This is the Jesus of the New Testament. Amen. And with that in mind, we're going to John chapter 15. Daniel, you do have this one. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1 and reading through to verse 8. It's not a coincidence that the house of worship in the Old Testament was built on a threshing floor. It's not a coincidence that the New Testament says that judgment begins at the house of God. Last Sunday night, Brother Gavin preached an anointed message that was not easy for him to preach, but was from the Lord. He preached from the story of Israel's defeat at the city of Ai found in the book of Joshua, the consequences of Achan's sin and how it affected the nation of Israel, or the, the people that were being formed into a nation. A few weeks ago in December, more than a few, but half a dozen or so weeks ago, I preached a message that was titled, How Long Will God Wait? And this message ties in with those kind of thoughts. Uh, and I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today. John 15, starting at verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach about the difference between being cut back and cut off. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for every soul that is here. And Lord, we just ask you that you would speak to us, Lord God, that you would allow us to receive your word and to bring forth that which you have orchestrated for it to do, Lord God, we pray. We commit this time into your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Jesus went about teaching and preaching, he used objects of everyday life communicate concepts that related to the supernatural and to the eternal. Last week we spoke about shepherds. It was an example that they were familiar with. It was a, a picture that the Lord was able to use to communicate. He all, in another place, Jesus spoke about fishing. He used the example of fishermen. And in a variety of settings, he spoke about the processes of planting and harvesting, agriculture. In some of those examples, humanity, if you know the parable of the sower and the seed, humanity is described as being the soil, and the seed is the Word of God, and the various kinds of soil produce different kinds of outcomes. In another place, Jesus spoke 
of the seed needing to fall into the ground and die. Otherwise, it abideth alone or it does not multiply in any way. He was speaking about his own death that was coming on the cross, but he was also sharing a principle that applies to our lives as well. In another place, Jesus spoke of laborers or workers that were hired to work in his field. And he even exhorted his disciples to pray that God would send laborers to work in the harvest. In this image, the church, the ones that are the laborers, are sent out into the harvest, which is the lost souls of this world. And so the Lord uses different agricultural examples to communicate different principles and different lessons. And in the book of James, in James chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. The early rain in the cycle of planting and, and watering and harvesting was necessary for the initial springing forth of life when the crop was planted. And then the latter rain, when it came as it was supposed to come, helped to cause the grain to become rich and full, ready to be harvested. And if you read the context of James chapter 5, what it says is that if you are mistreated, if you go through difficulties and mistreated and suffer at the hands of others, he says, remember that you've got new life and that we need to see this thing through. Because in verse 8 of James 5, he said, Be ye also patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Amen. But in John chapter 15, in our text, we see another angle, if you like, or another approach where the focus, the lesson, the principle, the message that Jesus is communicating is the connection between Jesus and you and I as a part of a living vine that is designed or fashioned by God to produce fruit. John 15 and 1, which we've read, says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. The husbandman is an old English word which we would understand as the gardener or the keeper of the vineyard. He is the one who watches, who cares for, who waters, who feeds, who prunes, and at the end of the cycle harvests the fruit. And when Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, he's not saying that there are two separate persons in play here, as in Jesus and the father, but we need to understand that it's through Jesus' coming in flesh that we have the opportunity to be connected to the source of life. That God, who is a spirit, the same spirit who was manifest or revealed in the flesh and is now living in us, is also our husbandman and the gardener, if you like, of our lives. To help to, to possibly unpack that concept a little bit more, in Revelation 22 and 16, the scripture says, I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus said in this verse that he was the root 
or the source of David's life. He was his creator, but that he was also his offspring or his descendant. So the Spirit of God that is in Jesus Christ was David's creator. But the expressed humanity of Jesus Christ was David's son, a really great, great, great grandson. So Jesus was able to claim both parts of that connection to David while being the same one true and living God. And so when we read that Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, it is not a statement of separation of persons, but it's understanding that he is the source of life that we connect to and that the Spirit of God is that which works in his garden or in his vineyard. This is not a Godhead lesson this morning, but I just wanted to break that down a little bit. Amen. So what Jesus was saying is that through me, through this humanity and what it has provided, you are connected to him. He said, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Verse, reading again from the beginning of John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, which suggests there may be a false vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So again, there's going to be a little bit of repetition, but you need to get this. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are not the source of life. But we are joined to or connected to the source of life. That's why in John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and life and have it more abundantly. He is the source of life. And in the imagery of John 15, there are simply two types of branches that are connected to the vine. There are branches that do not bear or produce fruit, and there are branches that do. That simple. And each kind of branch generates a specific response from the husbandman, from the gardener. The branch that does not bear fruit is taken away. It's removed. It's cut off. And the branch that does bear fruit is purged, or we would say pruned. And what is interesting, if you get into the original Greek, is that word purged has to do with cleansing. In the very next verse, Jesus said, You are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. His word, when it is allowed, and that is the key this morning, His word, when it is allowed to operate in our hearts and lives, will cleanse us. It will purge us. It will prune us. Amen. So one branch is cut off. The other one is pruned. Now here's the thing. To the untrained eye it's not easy to see the difference. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever seen a pruned plant? There's a fair bit of cutting off that's taken place. And if you don't know what you're looking at, if you don't have expertise in that area, you might think it's the same thing. If you and I were to go and watch as a professional, a qualified person at the appropriate season would prune the grapevines we would see pieces of that vine being cut, some larger, some smaller. 
A recently pruned plant of any kind is not attractive to the eye. Pruned plants don't look attractive. They look like a collection of sticks. But the master of the vineyard knows his purpose. The husbandman knows what he's doing when he prunes the vine. And a branch is removed when it is unfruitful in the right season or in the season where it should be bearing fruit and is no longer a part of the vine's purpose. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Jesus spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered, that's the dresser or the gardener, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also. Give me one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me dung it or let me put some fertilizer on it. And if it bear fruit, well, if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Although this, less, this passage is obviously not about a vine, but rather about a fig tree, there is still a lesson here. At some point, a tree, or in our example today, a branch is unfruitful long enough that it only serves to cumber the ground. Now, if you're not familiar with that word cumber, that's forgivable. But it means to be a hindrance or a burden. It's not contributing. And despite the efforts of the husbandman, despite the efforts of the gardener to dig around it and loosen up the soil and add things that will hopefully benefit, it remains unchanged and when it reaches that point that period of time comes to an end where the owner and the husbandman say long enough is long enough the tree is cut down the branch is cut off psalm chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 the first psalm is a psalm that you should read often because there's a lot of very powerful points in it but psalm 1 and 1 says blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. In other words, he considers the word of God and how it might be applied. It's not just daydreaming, but it's looking for meaning and purpose and application. Verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It's important to notice that it speaks about fruit in a season. Seasons are important. They all have their purpose. Every one of us has a preferred season. We are right now in the midst of my least preferred season. And the Lord is good. It's not too hot today. Some people hate the cold, some people hate the heat. But in the agricultural context, in in where food needs to be grown out of the earth, the seasons all matter. And they all serve a purpose. And you see, we we look with our natural eyes at the winter season, when the leaves are gone, and the tree's ugly, and we consider it an unfruitful time. 
But that's only because we do not see the big picture. When spring and summer comes, and fruit is large and ripe and full of juice and flavor, it is because of what happened in the pruning season. It is because of what took place in the least attractive seasons, in the winter, in the times where naturally it doesn't seem attractive, but the, the successful harvest depends upon a successful winter as well. There must be the fullness of those seasons. And if God prunes you, it is because you are fruitful. That's what Jesus said. Every branch that bringeth forth fruit, he purges. We read that and it almost sounds like punishment. But it's not. Every branch that brings forth fruit, God purges it. He prunes it. Why? Because if it continues to serve his purpose, it will be more fruitful than it was before. Fruitfulness in a spiritual context is recognized over a whole year, not a single season. Faithfulness throughout the four seasons produces a good harvest. It's the same spiritually. I I wish I could tell you that spiritual seasons lasted for exactly three months like they do in the natural seasons, but it doesn't work like that. But if you are faithful to Him and to His Word in whatever season you find yourself in, there will be a harvest. There will be fruit. But if you're only faithful come spring and summer when the sun's out and the weather's glorious, you're not going to bear the fruit that He's designed for you to bear. It requires to be able to be faithful through the whole year. And we have to recognize that. If you're going through a hard time and you feel like nothing's working and you're trying to touch heaven and God seems to be on vacation, stick at it. Because winter will produce fruit in spring. We have to understand a vine has only one purpose. One purpose. Fruit. That's it. No other purpose. Just fruit. It doesn't matter what your talents and your gifts are. It doesn't matter what skills you have, what education you have, what culture you come from, or even what calling is on your life. If you are not fruitful, you miss your purpose. You miss why God has put you in that vineyard. Because the vine has one purpose. Fruit. The book of Ezekiel lets us know this very clearly. In Ezekiel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, it's a, it's a statement that's expressing God's angst, His frustration with Israel. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any other tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang a vessel on? Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devoureth both the ends of it and the midst of it. It is burned. Is it meat for any work? Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat yet for any work when the fire hath devoured it and it is burned? Therefore, saith the Lord God, as the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The point is, that if a vine doesn't produce fruit, it doesn't have another purpose. It doesn't have a set. You can't, you look at a grapevine, you're going to struggle to make something out of the wood that comes from a grapevine. 
There are some fruit trees that if they don't bear fruit, there's enough tree there to make a chair, to make a table, to make something, to fashion timber and to build something. But, but a vine, there's, there's nothing of substance there. Even an old vine, it's, it's, it's not something you can say, hey, I'll take that and I'll make a dinner setting. Or It has one purpose. And if it's not bearing fruit, it's only good for firewood. And the prophet seems to imply that even as firewood, it's not very good because it burns at the ends in the middle and it's gone. It's not the sort of thing you want to put in that, that wood fire overnight to keep your house warm. It's not going to last an hour. It has one purpose. And if it's not serving that purpose, then it has no secondary purpose in the sight of the Lord. And when we talk about bearing fruit, what fruit are we talking about? When you go back to the Lord's parables and his lessons about laborers being hired for the vineyard or laborers being hired to work in the fields, the focus is on the loss. The focus is on laborers saving souls. But as a branch on his vine, it's about the transformation of the life of God flowing through us. He wants us, every one of us, to be involved in evangelism, to be involved in reaching the lost. He, he said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. But in this setting, we're talking about being connected to the vine as branches and fruit being produced by that. In Romans 6 and 22, it says, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life we spoke earlier in our bible lesson about how god is holy that means he's pure that means that there's nothing wicked in him there's nothing but light it's it's difficult to even communicate what that means when we say that god is holy and so when we become connected to him and we're drawing our life from Him over time as that relationship is healthy, it needs to produce change that produces holiness in us. Now, we'll get to holiness in Bible class later in the year, but holiness in the, in the, in the terms of in our lives, God's holiness doesn't change. Now, when we're saved, He sees us as righteous. He sees us as, holiness because of, as holy because of what He did. But there is an ongoing process in our lives that we call sanctification, whereas as the Word of God and the Spirit of God works in us, it changes our hearts, it changes our minds, and as it works on the inside, it becomes revealed upon the outside. It's not based only on the outside, because if that's the case, we become like the Pharisees that were nice-looking tombs, but full of dead men's bones. Biblical holiness is when change happens inwardly, which is then reflected outwardly. That's the only holiness that God accepts. Some people say it's only on the outside. Some people say it's only on the inside. They're both wrong. It's both. When God produces holiness, it's an inner transformation at the level of heart, mind, soul, character that changes conduct, behavior, etc. So the fruit when we are now free from sin, so in other words, we've left sin behind, we've connected to the vine, there is now life flowing through us, that fruit should produce holiness. It's one of the things it says. Many of you could quote Galatians 5, to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I challenge you this week. 
Go home and just take a few minutes to look at what each of those words mean. And say, Lord, how's that fruit going in my life? How's my bunch of grapes, Lord? You know, if that's the only nine grapes you grow, you've got a pretty amazing harvest. <laughs> that's a challenge for you, for me as well. Amen. James three seventeen to 18 says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So I believe in the context of John 15, fruit is talking about transformation because of connection to the life source. If you abide in me, he said, he said, without me, you can do nothing. He said, but if you abide in me and I in you, there's this, there's this thing that's going on where he's changing, he's shaping, he's molding, and he's pruning. He's trimming. I'm no gardener, as many of you know, but a vine is pruned for several reasons. One is the removal of damaged, diseased, or dead wood. Things that will cumber it, to use that King James word. Things that will be a burden and a, and a dead weight. But a vine is pruned also to shape the vine, to avoid problems in the future. A vine without direction and control can grow in a fashion that can actually cause problems down the track for bearing fruit. But a husbandman that knows what he's doing as he looks at that vine and he sees his purpose in it is able to guide its direction, the way the branches grow, the way they are shaped and the way that they are formed. The life of the vine, that life source, that life that is in a living plant is directed through pruning to particular branches that the husband has designed it to go towards. So that means in my life, when I've got all kinds of things growing, and if we're honest, we all have some things growing that maybe shouldn't be there, God wants to prune those so that his life can be channeled in a direction that serves his purpose, that isn't confused and going here, there, and everywhere and wasting its power on things that have no eternal benefit. The husbandman prunes the vine to say, I want the life coming up out of that trunk to go this direction because we're taking it this way and it's going to produce something that can't be seen right now. But if it will yield to me, I will produce a harvest in this vine. Pruning promotes strength to be able to bear and support more fruit. The more fruit you're going to carry, the stronger you have to be. I have a friend in North Queensland they bought a house, they bought a mango tree, they put that thing in the front yard, it was only about yay high, and it grew fruit very early, so much so that as the mango got bigger, the tree just went, and the mango was sitting on the ground. Because the tree didn't have the strength to bear the fruit. It was, it was funny looking in the natural, but the Lord prunes us so that as the fruit comes, we're able to bear it. We're able to bear the process that is involved. And it doesn't matter how long you've been connected to him, vines need to be pruned every season. In fact, in the little bit of reading that I did, I haven't become a horticulturist overnight, but old vines that are left unkept can be renovated. That's the term they use. 
You can take those things that are growing wild and unrestrained and over a season and a period of time, you can renovate that vine and restore it to its ability to produce its maximum crop. So it doesn't matter how long we've been serving the Lord. If you can say, I got the Holy Ghost in 1914, I don't think anybody here can make that claim, so I think I'm safe. That's wonderful. If you've had the Holy Ghost 105 years, fantastic. But guess what? You still need to be pruned. The husbandman still needs to come walking along, checking out the branches, seeing what's going on. Amen. You see, an unpruned vine will grow unrestrained. And what it does is it produces a lot of green leaves. Green leaves. And to you and I, that looks pleasant. Because we might like it to grow up over a trellis or or over a pergola and, and provide shade. But too many green leaves actually prevent the light from getting through to the fruit and cause a wide variety of health problems and illnesses to the vine and to the fruit itself. So what looks good to the natural man is not fruitful in the sight of the husbandman. And you think about that for a moment. Amen. God wants us to understand this morning that if you have been fruitful and he has pruned you or cut you back, it is for his purpose and that you shall bear more fruit than ever before. But if you're unpruned and unfruitful and do not change, he will cut you off. Let's stand this morning. If I could have a musician, please. The Bible tells us in another passage that Jesus saw a fig tree afar off having leaves. And he went to it with an expectation of fruit. And it talks about how the time of figs was not yet. And depending which commentaries you read, some say that it was out of season. Some say that Jesus knew that they hadn't finished the harvest and there would still be fruit on the tree. Either way, whatever the outcome is, Jesus went to the tree expecting. Something about that tree caused Jesus to have hope that there was fruit on it. It says that he hungered. And he went to that tree and he pushed by all those big, lovely green leaves. He couldn't find a single fig. The Bible says that he cursed that tree. And when they came past, I think in one of the Gospels it says the next morning, that thing had withered from the roots. Amen. We are in, I don't believe it's any exaggeration to say the last days. We're in a time where the Spirit of God is moving and we're seeing people born again and that's wonderful. But we're also seeing God letting us know it's time to be serious about what we're doing. That he's, His fan is in His hand. That the final harvest is coming and that He will gather His wheat into His barn. Now I know that with a message like this there are some people who are feeling uncomfortable and even maybe a bit angry at me. But that's okay. That's what the Word of God does. Got Paul and Silas thrown in the prison. God is, God's preference 
is not to cut you off, but to cut you back. Peter wrote in his epistle, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us wanting all men to come to repentance. We read that verse sometimes, we go, isn't God awesome, he's patient. But you've got to understand, what is the promise that it's talking about? When it says that God is not slack concerning his promises, when you read the context, the promises are of the destruction of the world. You read the verses before there. That's what it talks about. It talks about Noah and the flood. It talks about how the earth will be consumed with fire. And for some of us, that seems like science fiction, but it's in the Word of God. But in the meantime, it's, it's like, don't think that he's forgotten what he said he was going to do. But he said, in that interim, the husbandman is looking on the branches of the vine. And he's looking for those that are willing. You see, pruning involves your will. You have to willingly be pruned. Being cut off, you don't get a choice. When he decides it's time to cut, he cuts. But pruning is, Lord, change me. Lord, trim away some of the junk. I want to be fruitful, Lord. I don't want to be barren. don't want to be just a tree full of lovely green leaves and nothing that he's looking for. And as we worship the Lord this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to come and say, God, prune me again. Let me bring forth fruit. Let me not be stubborn and insist on my way, but prune me, Lord God, that I might bring forth more fruit. The season needs to be cold. And barren for a season, that's okay. But God, produce fruit in my life. Cut us back, Lord, but please, God, don't cut us off. Lord, we pray.